Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to Kawaii Cast. I'm Candace. I'm Tyler. And let's get into it. Yeah. So. Do you have any anime news? I kind of. Uh, <laughs> what, what does kind of anime news mean? Well, it's not really new news, but it was like the trailer for uh, season three of Demon Slayer dropped this week. All right. Yeah. So, fun little teaser trailer. And is that uh, coming out later this year? No or... idea. <laughs> okay. They didn't really have a release date with it, but they're like, here's the trailer. All right. That's what Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you haven't watched it, go watch it. Okay. <laughs> I can do that. I got no news. That's, that's nothing. Okay. Nothing. It's been kind of a slow week. Yeah, that's what I got. It, it's, it's the start of a new anime season right yeah now, so pretty it's pretty slow going well i mean one thing uh they're raising the price of uh pop-up parade figures yeah yeah it's unfortunate it happens yeah i don't know if it'll be a smart decision because the whole point of pop-up parades is that they're supposed to be affordable figures yeah. And if they're raising the price, it's it's not a huge price increase, but it, I don't know, it kind of feels like it's, it's backtracking from its original concept. I mean, it kind of is, because what, they were originally what, like... Like 30? 30. Yeah. 30 to 35-ish, depending yeah. on the figure. And now they're raising it up to, I think I've seen them, about 44 is the highest I've seen one. Yeah. Lately, so... It's kind of a kind of a jump. Yeah, it feels like you could probably find prize figures that are just as good as pop-up parades for it last, so oh, it's a shame. Yeah. But yeah, with that, uh don't really have a whole lot of anime news this week. Nope. Yeah. So we also are a little bit early to be talking about our seasonal some of, us, some of us haven't watched all of the new shows yet. Yeah. There's so many. There's a lot. So <laughs> we've got, we'll talk about the new seasonal anime next week. Yes. Because we're still trying to get through all of it. And in the meantime, in our attempt to try to watch all of the anime, we watched an older anime. <laughs> of course we did, because why wouldn't we? Yeah, this one came out last year, uh, but we didn't really have a lot of time to watch it back then. So we kind of just made time to watch it this week. And it's it's not really a brand new anime, but it was season th- four. four. Season, season four, four of, of Gretzko. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when this one first came out, it was around the time that Arcana came out, which we also haven't watched. But... Boy, are we behind. Yeah. After this entire time, we've been cl- complaining that, like... It was a slow season. It was a slow season, and, you know, oh, we'll just do whatever. And we didn't catch up on any of these other shows. It's true. But, yeah, so this came out around the same time as Arcana, and I kind of feel felt like that hurt it quite a bit, because everybody wanted to talk about Arcana for good reason. And because of that, I, I felt like nobody really watched Agretzko. Or people that did didn't really want to talk about it, and the few people that I know that were talking about it kind of pointed out that this was their like least favorite season, or in some cases, people said that this was like the season that's kind of turned them away from the show. So I went into this season with a bit of a 
bias because I I was just like kind of expecting it to be bad. And so that raises the question, was it bad? Um, well, it's it's hard to say. I mean, obviously it varies from person to person. What one person likes, another person won't <laughs> necessarily. But it almost seems like at the end of the last season, you know, it had all kind of wrapped up. It, you know, to me it felt like it would have been hard to do it. A fourth season, you know. Which is funny because they already have a fifth season announced. Yeah, I know. Which, oh boy. So, my thoughts on it kind of. We kind of have to recap the first three seasons in order for me to quite get my thoughts around it. So, the first season really was just kind of setting up, like, what kind of character Retzko was with this idea that she's basically the really relatable adult that a lot of us, especially, like, Millennials and Gen Zers can easily relate to the not wanting to work a nine-to-five job or just getting tired of the daily routine. I want to say almost more millennial than than Gen Zer because at some point in the series they introduce the the one character who really is basically Gen Z. You know, he's like Mm -hmm. on his phone and he's always like, you know... uh, like recording instances with you know a Gretzko, yeah, you know like because not Gretzko, not a Gretz. That yes, yeah. <laughs> you know what I meant. So but, you know, to, so so to me, it feels like he comes across as more of the Gen Z representation of the show. Yeah, but my point being, like Gretzko in the first season was really just kind of trying to find an escape from the life that she was living. And the two main plans or schemes that she came up with in that first season were one, to quit the nine to five job and end up working a career where she could just do things that make her happy only to find out, well, that kind of stuff usually doesn't pay the bills and isn't very realistic. It's more difficult than you thought. And the second plan of hers was to marry like somebody who makes good money and then never have to work again a day in her life, which she also found, like, finding a good guy kind of sucks as she gets in a really bad relationship at the end of the first season. And what's interesting about these two schemes of hers failing in the first season is that in season two, we're introduced to a rich guy who that wants likes, to marry that her. wants to marry her. Well, no, he doesn't want to marry her. That no, was- he does. The, the one, uh, like CEO. Yeah. Yeah, he wants to marry. He wanted to, to marry Donna. her. Yeah. No, because the the whole plot hook of why they broke up was, she wanted to further their relationship, and he was just like, well, we're just kind of together right now. I don't see the point of getting married. Oh yeah, that was right. Yeah. Yeah, he just wanted to take care of her. Yeah, exactly. Which still would have been an escape from her 9-to-5 routine, just being somebody who was being taken care of, only for her to realize that she would much rather be with a partner than be with a caretaker. I would have married him, just saying. I would too, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> so, season two was very, very much about showing the flaws in one of her escapist plans, 
And then season three brings a more interesting appeal where her death metal singing actually pays off and she gets the opportunity to be famous because of it. She gets this big idol career where everybody loves her and she never has to work a day again in her life. She easily could quit her job and genuinely be happy doing what she wants to do only for her to find out that that kind of lifestyle is actually very terrifying and might not be the kind of attention that she wants. It's nice that she could do something she loves, but she really doesn't want to be this central, like, focus of the public eye. So again, one of her, you know, get-out-of-work schemes from the season one backfires in season three, and ultimately what this creates is Retsuko's entire character arc kind of coming to a nice, neat little wrap-up where she just learns to deal with her problems like an adult and matures quite a bit over the three seasons. So like you said, it feels kind of odd that we were getting a season four out of this. Yeah. So season four took a very, very sharp turn and instead of focusing on Retsuko's character arc, it is very, very Haida centralized. Yeah, because as we learned through the first three seasons, Haida is absolutely obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. So now it's 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 kind of gotten to this point where he's he's admitted his feelings to like Fenico, and you know he's just he's even at one point you know uh, confessed to Retsko, and she shot him down. But he just can't get over those feelings. He uh, confessed several times. Yeah. At the end of season three, he his confession actually kind of got through to her, and she started to feel like maybe she could pursue this as a relationship. And this is really where we pick up on season four: is the idea that now the last thing Retzko has in her character arc is the possible relationship, or at least closure, with Haida. And the problem is, is that now that Retsuko is ready for that, it genuinely scares Haida. Yeah. And I do feel like the first few episodes of the season, really focusing on the idea that Haida is terrified of crossing that threshold, quite literally. <laughs> the, the threshold being, you know, Retsuko's, Retsuko's front, door. front door literally can't take a step inside. Yeah, I genuinely felt like this story was a little weak and I could feel like a lot of people didn't like this season because the fact that we spend several episodes on just Haida being kind of a wuss is a little exhausting because one it it feels like Retzko's entire character is now standing completely still and we don't really progress the story that much. In fact, the side story happening in the background with her boss literally getting demoted and the company now being turned over to a new, younger CEO is a far more interesting part of the show. And we just kind of can't feel bad for Haida for literally doing nothing for this entire time. Yeah, he just... Uh, Haida... Haida. Yeah. <laughs> so, it didn't take super long in this series for us to move past this, because I think if they had dedicated the entire ten episodes to Haida doesn't know how to 
tell Resco that he likes her again. I just don't think this season would have gone anywhere. But I will say that the conclusion to the two of them actually getting together was a little anticlimactic, I guess. Yeah. Like, I almost would have rather them just gone over it in the first episode than spend several episodes really building up why Haida has all this anxiety. Just fuck already. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At least that's how I felt until I got to the last episode. I really feel like, in retrospect, building up the fact that Haida has this anxiety and his feelings of being a face in the crowd ultimately came to a really good story arc by the end of the season. I just feel like it felt like a waste of time for the first couple of episodes. Yeah. So it's a little bit mismanaged, I guess, because I, I think that his character arc really did shine in this season, and I do think Haida became a far more interesting character in the last two seasons than he was in the first two, even though he was more likable in the first two. Personally, I never really cared a whole lot for Haida's nice guy finishes last routine, and it kind of bothered me that a lot of fans really wanted him and Retzko to get together. Because I felt like he never really earned it, and I think that's where I feel like this season well, has I mean, actually like, improved. I mean, like, in the first two seasons, like you said, he didn't really have a lot of personality. Yeah. You know? Whereas in, in season three, you know, you get the story arc of him dating that other girl. Inui. Inui. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you remember names. <laughs> I sure don't. <laughs> I can't remember the boss's name for the life of me. I, I don't remember either. Yeah. Um, Tone? Tone, that's it. The the pig, or did you mean the elephant, the no, CEO? The, the, the pig. Yeah, yeah. Tone. Um, but but yeah, like you, you get a little bit more character development with him in season three with Inui, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it kind of shows off that, you know, he... He's, you know, into music. He's he's more... He's also into, like, nerdy shit, you know? Whereas seasons one and two, it really was just like, uh, why won't Fritz go date me? Yeah. Like, Haida was a really likable guy in the first two seasons. Like, he just seemed like that cool, chill co-worker that you hang out with, but you don't really know anything about. And I think because of that, a lot of people really liked Haida, but... I personally didn't. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, he's nice. But he's that guy that's going to constantly be like, do you have a boyfriend? Have you broken up with your boyfriend? And then if you do, then suddenly it's like, wow, we're no longer friends because now you're just trying to hit on me. And it's really annoying. And I love the fact that Retzko basically tore him down immediately in season one because of that kind of behavior and attitude. Where she's just like, here's a hint. If you want to get a girlfriend, don't fucking act like you have to jump through some window of time to get that girlfriend. Like, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, there's not some goal or trophy. Like, you need to stop acting like you miss your shot or you got to get to that opportune moment or whatever. Just, like, talk to girls like they're people. Just go for it, man. Yeah, like, treat them like they're a human being with feelings. And 
Haydn never really understood that with Retzko, and that bothered me so much for so long. And he puts her up on such a high pedestal that it's like, dude, you just need to fucking chill. Even Inui kind of calls him out for it in the season where she's like, even though we were so close and the two of us almost dated, you never actually listened to me. You never talked to me. You just saw me as this potential girlfriend. And I'm like, such a good way to fucking call him out on this. Call all men out on this bullshit. Right? Girls aren't potential dates. They're not potential lovers. They're not potential girlfriends. They're people. Treat them like people. <laughs> Look, if there's anything I've learned from Disney, it's that uh, you don't listen to women. <laughs> Thank you, Mushu. <laughs> if there's no, an, I'm kidding. If of there's course. anything I learned from Disney is that princes have zero personality and are just there to be a happy ending. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, you, you can get a happy ending without marrying a prince. You just gotta <laughs> go to the right massage parlor. No, I kid. Of course, I don't condone that. But yeah, like. I love the fact that Haida doesn't get an easy pass for being a creep or a jerk. And I like the fact that this show really addresses the fact that that kind of behavior, that like yearning for this girl that you just have created to be bigger than life itself, is just not cool. Yeah. Um, and that is little bit reflective of you know kind of how society is starting to go at least here in america as well you know we're starting to be like hey girlfriend isn't the end goal here like you know mm -hmm. you, you can't just that's that's not it bro yeah and so i really liked the fact that even though retzko and haida actually do start dating this season and we do get that brief moment where the two of them are having like that perfect Instagram early relationship dating moment and now they're thinking like oh, oh maybe... you mean you mean fucking uh what's her name Tsunoda mm -hmm. the the dear the the love professor as they call her I think mm -hmm. you know they're like uh Retsuko posts the image mm -hmm. on the Instagram and and Tsunoda's like <gasps> Is that a Haida hand? Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, they're in love. Yeah, and yeah. it immediately sparks this idea of potential marriage in the future. Aside from that scene, we don't actually see the two of them really dating. Like, they do try to make plans, but most of the time life is kind of just happening around them. And they're both still together, and they're both still interested in each other, but they're not throwing away everything that they have with this idea that now they need to be this perfect couple and I'm really glad this is the route that the season chose because I think they easily could have done this whole newlywed story arc that just falls flat on their ass and oh look they were never able to be together before but now they're together and they're happy yeah like that that whole yeah. spiel they easily could have done the whole like cheesy the honeymoon phase doesn't last forever story arc and they could have dedicated the whole season to that but instead they chose to just show two adults who are trying to make things work but are both also dealing with the anxieties of 
okay, who is this person that I'm with all of a sudden? And what are we going to do about our future? And that's the biggest concern that Haida now has. Well, well, not just that, but they're also dealing with, you know, their work lives, and, you know, because Haida, he gets, you know, with, with the new CEO, Haida gets promoted, you know, and has to do, you know, stuff for, for his job. Uh, Agretzko, or... I keep Retzko. saying that. Retzko. Retzko. <laughs> you know, starts starts doing, like, her side gig of, you know, the, her, her death metal voice, you know, YouTube videos and starts making money on that. So she's busy after work as well. Yeah. And this also starts to plant the seeds of suspicion and things like Haida seeing Retzko hanging out with her ex-boyfriend and not really telling him where she's going at night and... All of this on top of the already, like, dealing with work stress, it starts to build up that anxiety that he had in the first few episodes that maybe he's just a face in the crowd. That maybe officially dating isn't really enough because they're not really spending time together and they're not really happy together and they're not really your stereotype couple anymore. And he wants to plan a future with her, but he doesn't really know how to do that. And he doesn't know how to be like that special person in her life. And so I do feel like while I really disliked the first couple of episodes, I do think they were really important to really establish why he cares so much about this new promotion. Yeah, because, you know, like you said, with his worries of just being, you know, some guy... You know, with the new promotion, you know, the, the new CEO treats him like he's an actual person and not just... Like he's special. Like he's... Yeah. He's done something incredible by building this, like, work interface that makes their job more efficient and suddenly is pulling their particular account out of the red. Yeah. And that brings us to the more background story of this, and that is the fact that the accounting part of this company is now being torn apart from the inside by new corporate policies and new blood in the CEO desk. Okay, but I I love this storyline. Me too! Because like, uh, I, think, I think we've both been there mm-hmm. and it really is, it kind of showcases like toxic workplaces, you know, because... Mm-hmm. Like, like we've seen, you know, uh, a job might not necessarily be able to fire you, but they can do just about anything to try to get you to quit. Yeah. You know, um, especially and sometimes in- those things don't really look negative on the surface. Sometimes they're things like a nice package, like we pay you a lot of money for quitting this company. Or you get to spend more time with your family and get to live a comfortable life in retirement. Or various other things in particular that just work so well, this passive-aggressive positivity. Yeah, um, and it's it's even, I think the show mentions it, like it's even harder to fire someone in Japan than it is here in America. Here in America, mm-hmm. it's almost, well, varies by, from state to state, but at least in our state, it's pretty much just a, hey, you're, you're gone. You know, yeah. It doesn't matter, I don't need a reason. I I have noticed a lot of corporations in America are starting to shift more towards that, like, friendly, hey, we don't want to fire you, but 
here's an incentive as why you might not want to stay with the company, kind of. Well, well, that is because um, unemployment insurance, you know, mm-hmm. the company pays for that unemployment if, if you get fired yeah. from them. And, and they want to do everything within their power to not have to shell out some extra dough. Yeah. So instead of firing you, they do everything they can to encourage you to quit. I also feel like it's an interesting, uh, like, inversion from the company that we saw in seasons one through three, because season one in particular really painted this company, particularly the accounting uh, part of this company, as this almost, like, code black company. Because we hear a lot about this where Japan has these famous corporations that are known as Code Black Corporations, where they will basically work you to death knowing that you'll never leave because you have no choice but to wake up, go to your 9 to 5 job, work yourself to the bone, and then go home, get some rest, and come back and do it all over again. And... Agretzko really did a good job of being... Uh, You said it this time. No, I was actually talking about the show, not the character. Oh, okay. Fuck me then. <laughs> Shit. Agretzko really did this. Here, thing. here, I'm trying to call you out on my stupid bullshit. And now you have egg on your face. I'm gonna go cry. So yeah, Agretzko did this really good job of painting this idea that maybe this idea that our jobs are as bad as we think we are is not necessarily the truth. Like, I'm not denying the fact that Code Black companies exist, but by the end of Season 1, we kind of realize this isn't necessarily a Code Black company, just that Retsuko is extremely tired, and that she's just kind of in a rut, and most of the pain and suffering is really in her head, and it's not a perfect job, but it's doable, and she could survive if she just hangs on, and there's something also very rewarding and her doing her job well. So, I don't think this company is quite that bad in the beginning, but at the beginning of season four, we're kind of learning that this company is almost to the point of tanking. Like, they're really sinking money, and the accounting firm is really the one being blamed for a lot of this in the red. Numbers. Which, which is absolutely hilarious because they throw out some numbers at some point. They're like, oh, the accounting firm is sucking up like... 35% or something No, it like wasn't that. even that high. It was like 9%. And they're like, what do you think the average for that is for at a, at a different company? It's 2%. Yeah. It's like, wow, really? 2% you're going to allocate that much, that little money to the people who handle all your money. Right. <laughs> you know, seems seems kind of bass-ackwards to me, but hey, what do I know? Yeah, so the company goes from being painted as like almost this code black company from season one to this overtly nice, we're going to give you a nice severance package if you accept a layoff kind of company where... Now, instead of a job forcing you to stay until you work yourself to death, they're now politely trying to escort you out the door. And it is kind of scary to see that this actually is significantly worse, or at least equally as bad. Particularly the scene where, I forget her name, but the hippo, her son is extremely sick. And there's nobody who can run her son to the hospital. Like, she 
needs to take time off of work for her family life. And all of her supervisors and bosses in HR kind of gaslight her into making it feel like it's her fault she's missing work. Yeah, like, her son gets sick and, and they're just like, well, can't your husband go pick up your kid? Oh, your kid's, your kid's sick again. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. How long until you'll make it into work today? Yeah. You know? And this is such a realistic thing, too, because I work a job like that. I work a job where one person calls out and suddenly we're understaffed. Like, not just like, oh, we're down a person day. We're understaffed. We Uh, literally can't do our jobs because one person got sick. That's what happens when companies run a skeleton crew. Yeah. And it sucks. And it especially sucks being the person calling out because you're going to go into work the next day and you're going to be hearing things like, oh my god, yesterday was so bad. We it's, didn't get anything done. It was overwhelming. It's it's so hard, too, because it's like, on the one hand, you know you need to, you know, take it off because you're sick, you know, and on that same hand, you're like, well, fuck the company. They're making enough money. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand is like all your coworkers that you care about. You're like, ah, fuck, I like them. I don't want to put them through a harder time. Yeah. You know? And companies genuinely make you feel like absolute garbage for resting or taking care of yourself. Like, the constant, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean mentality. And it's garbage. It's absolute garbage. Because if a company really cared, if a company really considered you the family that they claim they do then they would call somebody in to make sure that you could take time off. They wouldn't be counting how many hours can we fill this week. They would make sure that you have enough staff that if something happened, somebody else can pick up that extra work. Like, I I don't want to talk shit about my job because I like my job. But last week, somebody called out and when I talked to HR about how stressed I was that I was now working my department by myself... Their literal literal response was, you got too comfortable having somebody up here with you. We used to not have anybody up here in this department. And I'm like, okay, but this department also used to not have this much responsibility. Yeah. Like, this used to be a one-person job, and now it's a two- to three-person job, and now I'm by myself. Like, it sucks. It sucks, and the jobs make you feel that way. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I like my job. I genuinely do, but I I really, re- like, I you, connected with you, that scene you, in Kretzko. You, you, yeah, well, you like your job, but at the same time, you can also notice the problematic issues. Yeah, because it's stress. It's stressful. I, I legit went home crying that day, and so... Just this scene where she's being gaslit by her boss into feeling like she's the reason that things are failing at the company, which she's not. They tell her, like, oh, you need to leave because you're not contributing because you talk gossip with your coworkers. Everybody talks gossip with their coworkers. Right? Everybody chats. People take extra, lu- like, a couple minutes on their lunch. 
People walk slowly getting back to their desk. Everybody does stuff like that. You, you, you run into the time clock to clock out. And then after your lunch, you're like dragging your feet to get back. Exactly. Like everybody does stuff like that. It's human. It's normal. And for this company basically to be like, okay, well, that means that you need to pack up your things and accept this nice severance package because you are a part of the problem with this company. It makes you feel like shit. And they do it in such nice ways in the way they told her, like, wouldn't you like to spend more time with your son? To the point where if she says, no, I want to continue working, she's going to feel like a shit mom. Like, that's so mm -hmm. garbage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely awful. And that's not even to mention what they did to Tom. Oh, man. Envious of that man. Honestly. <laughs> Come on. I know. I think everybody <laughs> thinks like, if I could just get paid to do absolutely nothing, I would fucking bleed this company dry. <laughs> and I'm kind of shocked that he didn't, but it's also a huge, like, difference between the age gap in this series. Like, Yeah, absolutely. And it does kind of mention that, because you have uh, Tone and you have... Uh, What's her name? The the lizard woman. Yeah, I you literally know, can't remember her name right now. <laughs> I can't but. either. And and you know, there's a scene where they're like talking about the good old days, you know, because they had entered onto the company early on, you know, yeah. back when they were younger. Uh, they during the and this is part of like the Japanese history that they actually include in the series, the uh, post economic miracle. Or post post ah, post war economic miracle, which lasted several decades in Japan. Yeah. It wasn't until around the eighties or nineties of what they refer to as the bubble burst, where suddenly Japan's economy just completely fucking tanked. It didn't even necessarily tank. It just came to a screeching halt. It it didn't didn't go up. Didn't go down. It just you know. Yeah. So, well, it was really similar to what happened in 2008 here in America, where it didn't quite feel like the Great Depression, but suddenly, like, prices of everything kept going up, but wages were at a complete standstill, and it felt slow at first, but suddenly there was a lot of layoffs, there was a lot of people losing their jobs, suddenly groceries became a lot harder to get, and suddenly rent and housing became a lot more difficult and stressful and suddenly an entire generation was blamed for this even though they were literally just entering adulthood when it happened and this was a big thing that happened in japan almost two decades before it happened in america and don mentions that this company in particular that he's working for didn't lay off a single person and that's why he's so loyal to his job he still wants to live in the good old days where you can enjoy your job and not have to stress about things. But ultimately, he does want to work hard to see this company succeed because he owes a lot of his life to it. Yeah, um, but but like I was mentioning in, in that scene where they're reminiscing about the good old days, you know, they'd be talking, you know, they're like, oh yeah, we back when we had to pull 10-hour shifts for six days a week, 
you know, oh, but we were happy to do it because our bonuses and, you know, like, mm -hmm. all, all that kind of thing. Like, it's, it really is, one, a generational thing, and two, like, that's, that's just kind of how they were brought up in that company. Yeah. You know, so, so now that, you know, they're at this point in the company where the company's saying, hey, we don't know if we're going to be able to hand out bonuses, you know, they're, they're, Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of brought on their their reminiscence. Yeah. And then when the new CEO basically tells Tom, like, we're going to basically give you this bullshit promotion, which is, like, it on the surface, it seems like it's this incredible opportunity. And again, a younger person probably would have looked at the situation and been like, I'm going to bleed this company dry by doing nothing but sitting on my ass in this office. But... For an older... I'm, I'm, I'm gonna install an old Atari 2600 and play <laughs> video games all day. Yeah, but for a person of the older generation that basically built that company on his back and has been this loyal person who has known the 9-to-5 routine his entire life and has put so much of his time and energy and personality and everything invested into it and lives off of this tradition of this is how Japan has always been. This is our, you know, pride as, uh, you know, citizens of this country. Suddenly doing nothing is kind of like getting stabbed in the heart. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, <laughs> it's kind of crazy how much they paint that big generational gap between the two. Yeah. Because we do talk about generation gaps here in America, but in Japan it's it feels like a far more diverse thing. In America, it feels like we're always just kind of blaming generations for problems that happen during their lifetime. Like, millennials get blamed for a lot of, like, the economic problems that we've had in the last two decades. Uh, millennials get blamed for literally everything, according yeah. to the media. Yeah, boomers <laughs> got blamed for a lot of the wars and things that were happening during their generation, even though they were kids. Like, mm -hmm. they even got blamed for the fact that they pulled out of wars when they were kids. Oh, you you, you went to war? Well, too bad. You should finish it. Yeah. Oh, you're pulling out of that war? Fuck you. You're a terrible human being. Yeah, like, every generation gets blamed for the events that are happening at the time. I'm surprised that Gen Zers weren't blamed for this pandemic, honestly. Uh, you know, honestly, they probably would have been. If, uh, like I said, the media wasn't so hung up on millennials and they they just assume anyone that's younger than, I don't know, fucking 20 is a millennial. Yeah. They, don't, they don't think Gen Z. They literally think, oh, these millennials. Yeah. And in Japan, I feel like the generation, they don't get along similar to here in America, but more it's like tradition versus innovation seems to be a lot of how it's painted yeah things like it's more efficient just to pour beer just by grabbing a beer bottle and pouring it where tradition is you need to pour it for your boss with the label up so they see exactly what you're pouring for them and it's just it's polite mm -hmm. yeah it, it's a traditional way to do it and there's a reason for that tradition but it seems a little mundane like if there's only one type of beer at the table why do you need to see the label uh, well, well, not just that, but, like, even if there were, like, 
multiple kinds of beer and you know you pour one for your boss you know you, you have to have the label up instead of you know engaging in actual conversation yeah. you know the boss takes a sip be like oh that's pretty good what brand is that you know it's just <laughs> expected of you to be able to show your boss as you pour it yeah and a lot of this does come down to tradition. Like, a lot of, like, table manners and politeness in Japan is things that had a purpose at some point, but from the outside looking in, whether it's from a foreigner or from the youth of Japan, they see a lot of these things like, yeah, it's a little outdated. Like, there was a point to it, but nobody really does that anymore, you yeah. know? <laughs> There's still a lot of superstitions in Japan that a lot of people even you know, the youth follow, but there's other things that are just kind of dying out. And you even notice that with Haida, a small detail, when he gets promoted to being the head of the accounting department, when they pour his beer, the label is very specifically down. Yeah. Because he doesn't care. He's innovative. He's like, whatever's the most efficient way. That's why he got the promotion in the first place because he came up with a workaround to their current workflow that's just faster and makes more sense and saves their company a lot of time and time is money. Yeah. And he's he's smart. He works well in this new like generation. And he can probably do a lot of great things as well. But the series definitely likes to play a lot on that idea of which is better, innovation or tradition. Yeah. So, and I really, really like that. I do kind of wish that we would see a bit more of a blend of the two. And I do think that's particularly where Retzko comes in as a character. Because she does start to respect a lot of the old ways that Tan, like, teaches her. But at the same time, she is still part of, like, this, like, millennial generation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that brings us to the last thing that I didn't really like about the season, and that was the window dressing arc. Oh, yeah, the, the cook the books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt like this was sloppy. I get the idea that Haida is very, very much struggling to get over his anxieties and he's willing to do anything to prove himself at this point and he definitely has a lot of respect for his new boss but I just felt like this kind of came out of left field and it felt more like a reason for Retzko to get mad at him than actually being a good plot yeah um it's, it's hard I can, I can see Haida's point of view on it because, mm-hmm. like you said, he, he respects his new boss. Um, he's kind of at a moral dilemma, mm-hmm. you know, of like, hey, if if I don't if I don't do this to you know show off, you know, that we're making a profit to the shareholders, then the company's gonna go under. So it needs to look good for now until we can pull it up yeah i just i just felt like so so in his mind he's thinking oh well i'm i'm doing it for my co-workers you know i'm i'm helping retzko i'm helping fenico i'm helping 
you know, all of my other co-workers. Yeah. I just kind of felt like this particular plot thread went from Haida, like, passively accepting the flaws of a company to literally committing a crime was just a bit of a jump. <laughs> yes. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> so. What? Fraud? I... There's no crime in fraudery. <laughs> so, yeah, I I don't know. I don't really know how they could have handled the last few episodes a bit better. Aside from I like the fact that when he does confront Retsko's ex-boyfriend and he's basically confronts him about how he's annoyed that Retsko's spending time with him and that he's still, like, this person that's above him, he's kind of like this source of a lot of his anxieties and he challenges him to an arm wrestling match and he's basically like i think you're fighting the wrong guy dude i loved that scene yeah i loved that final build-up that i i liked the scene mm-hmm. i thought the arm wrestling thing was a little awkward like it was awkward like, yeah. like bro let's arm wrestle you know and then haida just kind of pops out of, you know, left field with, you know, once he's, once he's got uh, Tadano's arm almost all the way down, he's like, yo, when I win, you never talk to Retsuko again. You, can't, you know, it wasn't that he, <laughs> he could never talk to her again, it's that he can't call her Retsy anymore. Yeah, so, something like that, but it's like, really, that's, <sighs> come on. It is lame, but that's kind of who Haida is in this show. He's this insecure, <laughs> lame guy that's trying to sound cool. Yeah. And I love the fact that, again, he's called out for this shit. Like, instead of it, him being like, oh, I respect the fact that you don't want me calling your girlfriend a cute pet name anymore, he's just kind of like, bro, you just gotta stop being like this. You gotta stop acting like you're this cool guy and just be the person that Retsy liked in the first place. Go do the right thing. And I felt like that was a really, really good way to end Haida's arc here was you don't need to be this cool amazing guy you don't need to be rich you don't need to be a CEO you don't need to be a superhero or a master yoga instructor you don't have to be a celebrity or any of that because Retsuko could have had any of those things throughout the first three seasons and she turned them all down Yeah. to be with you idiot <laughs> just be you just do good things and be a good person. That's what she wants. Basically, just don't be an asshole. Yeah. Like, cause... I, I feel like that's 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 the bare minimum that we require as society, is don't be an asshole. She literally turned down a millionaire with a private jet who could take her to go get ramen literally anywhere in the country in a single night to be with some guy that plays bass guitar in random rent-a-studios with his friends from high school... Because he's a nice guy. <laughs> okay. okay, that was funny, though. The the one dude, like, the singer of that band that Haida was playing with was just like, yeah, all these other people, you know, doing the 9-to-5 job, blah, blah, blah. The I'm wage just, slaves. The, the wage <laughs> slaves. I'm just a loser living on from couch to couch, blah, blah, blah. Aren't I awesome? I'm living you know? a dream. <laughs> like, dude, dude, there's nothing cool about the way you phrased that. But it's also extremely important because he's him. 
You know, yeah, he, he lost a girl because she wanted to go marry somebody else, but he's not sad about it because obviously she wasn't Retzko. Yeah. She wasn't cool like Retzko. She was just some crazy girl chasing after her next meal ticket. She gave up on the dream, man. <laughs> right. So, and Retzko's not the kind of person that would chase after money. And that's how she's grown a lot from the first season. Because the first season, Retzko really just wanted to get out of her job. Yeah. And this Retzko really just wants that's to... relatable. <laughs> yeah. This Retzko wants to live a better life. Also, I really, really like that her manager from her idol days I was, I was gonna made a return. That. I loved that. He's the best character. <laughs> he just he comes in. He's like, "Hey, uh, want to collab? Want to collab <laughs> with your old band? I, Wouldn't that be cool?" I love his approach to it too. He's like, "So I noticed that you have millions of views on your YouTube channel. We have a couple thousand ourselves." It would be really beneficial for us to both collab with each other. Right? <laughs> I love him. He's so great. He's he's great. I love him. I love that he's voiced by Sung Woo. Right? Like, absolute perfect casting decision. And I love in the end, too, when he, like, accidentally saves the day. He's like, so... Collab. About that collaboration. <laughs> My favorite line in the whole season is... Look, look. I'm just saying, with balls that big, I would go for it. I'd be like, yeah, dude, let's collab. This is gonna be great. I genuinely... My favorite line in the entire season was him being like, I'm taking the shot. <laughs> this camera. This is the best line in the whole season. So... Is a Gretzko season four bad? I don't think so. No, not at all. In no. fact, I'm actually looking forward to season five. Yeah. Which is the first time I've actually been looking forward to a new season of a Gretzko since season two. Because I didn't really think that season three could go anywhere, and I sure as hell didn't think season four was going to go anywhere. But I am super excited to see what they do with season five. Right. Was it the worst season? I think it was my least favorite season. I think, I think it depends on who you ask. Yeah. You know? I, I really do think this was my least favorite season, and I think that was just because, like I said, the very beginning was sloppy, and the very end was sloppy, and it just kind of felt like a lot of really good pieces that didn't come together as good as the first three seasons. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Haida's just not a great central character. Yeah. Um, so I think I think the consensus overall would be that it probably is the worst season out of the four. Mm-hmm. So... But I think it's I, still worth watching. I still don't think watching. it's bad. Yeah, I think it's absolutely still worth watching... I, I think that if you've been holding off on this season, either because you didn't realize it existed or because you heard it's bad, I'd say go watch it and accept it as more a chapter in a longer story as opposed to an entire complete story. Because honestly, the background story is one of the more interesting parts of this franchise, and the central focus of the season was just kind of hastily slapped on top. Yeah. 
So, but all around, solid 7 out of 10. Do recommend. I love Adult Sanrio. Let's get more of that, please. You're right. So. Uh, with that, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Yeah, I think so. All right. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening, guys. Bye. Bye.